Whether we like it or not, we are in the middle of an intense spiritual conflict. But God has made available to us spiritual weapons that are infinitely superior to the crafty schemes of the enemy. In this final and very important sermon from Ephesians 6, we learn how to wear and use each piece of our spiritual armor. Victory in our daily Christian life depends on us walking with our full armor on. Shall we just pray and then we will get into our God's word here together. Father, we just thank you for this time where we could be in your presence and and Father, I just pray for your spirit, for the spirit of wisdom, revelation, understanding God just to rest upon our hearts and minds as we read and study your word. And I pray God that you would speak to every person. And God, we pray that you impart into our hearts truths that we need to live by. Things that will change our lives, take us Lord further and deeper and make us stronger in you. So we welcome, we receive the ministry of your word and the ministry of your holy spirit into our lives in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles please to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh we've been uh, spending last several Sundays in uh, in the book of Ephesians and we are now in the very last section Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, we are uh, uh going to conclude our study in the book of Ephesians by looking at this last passage in Ephesians chapter 6 we'll be looking at verses 10 to 24 so if you have your bibles please Uh, you could turn there we're going to read this entire passage through first and then we will spend some time studying that together Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 24 going to start reading here from verse 10 Finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand or to keep standing Verse 14 Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that i may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains that in it i may speak boldly as i ought to speak but that you also may know my affairs and how i am doing tychicus a beloved brother and faithful minister in the lord will make known make all these things known to you whom i have sent to you for this very purpose 
that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So Paul is bringing his letter to the believers at Ephesians, is bringing it up to a conclusion. Just to give us a quick background, in chapters 1 and 2, Paul has spoken to the believers and he's told them about their life in Christ, the spiritual life in Christ. In all these beautiful things that we have in Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Uh, we are redeemed. In Christ we have redemption. We are sealed with His mark of ownership. And uh, in chapters 2, he talks about the fact that we are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Uh, and so on. In chapter 3, he's talking about his own ministry a little bit. And he talks about his prayer for the believers. That they should know how great God's love is for them. And... Uh, uh, and, and, and be filled with the power of God. Chapter 4 and chapter 5, he's talking about practical Christian life. You know, how you live everyday life. How you walk according to the new man. How you speak. How uh, our relationships, how we handle our relationships. We saw that last Sunday uh, from chapter 5. And so he's getting ready to conclude his letter. And he says, finally, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren. Alright, so I'm getting ready to conclude. But I want to talk to you, I want to write to you about something very important. But everything I've said prior to this is a prerequisite for what I'm going to say. In other words, what, what he's about to talk to us is not lived in isolation, but it is dependent on everything he said preceding or prior to what he's about to tell us. Finally, brethren. So he's talking to brethren, he's talking to all of us. And Paul begins in this short passage here to talk about our spiritual conflict. And we're going to spend some time understanding that. He talks to, about, talks to us about the fact that we are actually engaged in spiritual conflict with the powers of darkness. Now here's the important thing. Whether you and I like it or not, this conflict is happening. And we just can't stick our head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. Just because we, you know, say, I don't believe this is happening. I don't believe this is true. All this thing about devils and demons, this spooky things, they don't happen. It's not going to make it go away. So you might as well wake up. We might as well wake up and face up to it. Amen? There's no point in pretending like, oh, this doesn't exist. It is. It is there. The right thing to do is to stand up and say, look, I'm going to deal with this. What am I supposed to do? Let me find out. And he says, finally, my brethren, meaning he's writing to all believers. Every believer needs to know about spiritual conflict, how to deal with it. Every believer. He's not saying, finally, pastors, <laughs> you guys have it bad. You know, I need to talk to you about spiritual battles. He's saying, finally, brethren. All of us have got something to say about spiritual conflict. So he says, finally, Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So he's putting the onus on us. You be strong. Amen. 
So you be strong. Be strong. You receive strength. You draw strength. Be strong. In the Lord, our source of supply of spiritual strength is the Lord. It's not the pastor. It's not the church. It's not your neighbor. It's the Lord. Amen? Thank God for pastors, the churches, the neighbors, and all of that. All of that is good. But our source of spiritual strength is the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. In the Lord. Draw your strength from Him. In the Lord. Now, it's interesting in that verse, he's using three different Greek words to talk about power and strength. Like in English, we may say strength, we may say power, we may say force, uh, we may say all those things. He's using three different Greek words to emphasize or to get our attention on what is really available to us in the Lord. I think it's interesting just to look at that. He says, be strong. That word strong is the Greek dunamis, which literally refers to explosive power. It's the energy of power that's released when something explodes, like when a dynamite explodes. Strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power. The word power is the word kratos, which is really talking about demonstrative power. He's not talking in contrast to intellectual, mental power or philosophical power. He's talking about demonstrative power. Power that's put on display. That's demonstrative. And the third word, might, again using that same verse, is, is, is talking about force, ability. It's like when you see a, a man with big muscles, huge muscles. That's, he's got might. He's got force. So what Paul is, is he's using all of this. He's saying, so believer, you be filled with explosive power, with demonstrative power, with supernatural ability, and all this for you comes from the Lord. Are you with me? In other words, you get filled up with this power, the devil's got no chance. The devil's got no chance. If you as a believer actually be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might, you as a believer, you're plugging into God, and you are drawing supernatural force and ability into your spirit and you are drawing this explosive power that comes from almighty god and you are drawing this demonstrative power that's in your life he's saying be strong with this be filled up with this believer when you've got this in you the devil's got no chance be strong in the lord in the power of his might right now you know when soldiers are being readied for battle before they are given their weapons, the first thing you need to do is get the soldier in shape. Is that right? There's no point, you know, you give the soldier heavy equipment and armor and, and, and he's totally out of shape. He can't last, you know, he can't walk half a mile. Forget it. He's not going to be of much use. First thing is get him in shape. And that's what they do in the armed services. They put them in shape. You know, very rigorous training. Because he's got to be strong. Before he can start learning how to use all the weapons. So first thing, Ephesians 6.10, get yourself in shape. Is that right? Be strong in the Lord. Now this is a real battle. We got to face an enemy, real enemy. First thing, get yourself in shape. Be strong in the Lord. 
The power on the other side is limitless. There is explosive power. There is supernatural ability available for every believer. There is demonstrative power available for every believer. You got to plug in. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And as you're getting into shape, now put on your armor. Now we'll talk about the weapons we go to you. Verse 11. Put on the full armor or the whole armor of God with which you will be able to stand against all the wiles of the devil. Notice he says, put on. Now, it's the same Greek word he used there in Ephesians 4.24 when he told us, you know, you put off the old man, put on the new man. So every believer, as believers, we got to put on the new man. You've got the new man on, you're walking new creation. On top of the new man, you've got to put on the armor of God. Are you with me so far? So you're born again. You're a new man. You're walking this new man. Put on the new man. That's great. You're strengthening yourself in the Lord. You're drawing power from God. That's great. But on top of all that, put on the full armor of God. Now notice, you and I have to put it on. We've got to put it on. That's something we do. Put on. Nowhere in scripture do you ever find the Bible saying, okay, now put off your armor. Meaning, have it on all the time. Put on the armor. Keep it on all the time. Put on the armor of God. Put on the full armor. There are seven pieces to this armor. We'll talk about it in a few minutes from now. Put on the full armor of God. And notice it says it's the armor of God. It's something God gives to us. You don't get it from your church. Sorry for repeating the same thing here. You don't get it from your past. You don't get it from somebody else. You get it from God. Meaning, this armor comes based on your relationship with Almighty God. Amen? It's the armor of God. If you don't have that relationship, putting it on has no value. That's why the Bible tells us you submit to God, resist the devil. You see, your ability, our ability to resist the devil is, can, is dependent on our submission to God. This is the armor of God. So it's, it's in the context of relationship with God, of closeness with God, of, of, of being in the Lord, that this armor is going to be effective. Otherwise, forget it. It means nothing. Put on the full armor of God, with which you will be able to stand. Say this with me. I can stand. You're going to stand. There is no reason why you and I should be fallen, defeated. No. We've got weapons, we've got an armor, where God says, you put it on, you're going to stand. You can stand. Every believer can stand successfully. Put on the whole armor of God, with which you will be able to stand against all. Everybody say all. And no matter what the devil does, against all the wiles of the devil. The word wiles simply means methods. And literally, it comes from this Greek word that talks about walking down the same road over and over again. Meaning, the devil has no new tricks in his back. It's the same old tricks. He walks down the same road over and over and over again. He's got nothing new. Comes down the same road. Again, same road, again, same road, again. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the wiles, the trickery of the devil. But he's got nothing new. He keeps coming down the same road over, 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 over again. That's why in another place in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the apostle Paul, he says, 
We are not ignorant of the devil's devices, lest he gain an advantage of us. You know, when we are ignorant of his devices, his strategies, that gives him an advantage. But when we know his methods, we know his strategy, it puts us at an advantage. Are you with me? And so we need to know. It's good to know. Oh, that's the same old trick. He's coming the same old way. There's nothing new in the devil's bag of tricks. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, there is no temptation taken you, but what is common to? He's been doing the same thing for 6,000 years. Same tricks. So actually, all of us believers can actually learn the word of God and understand and know exactly what the devil's going to do. I know what's he going to do, what he's going to do right now. I'm going to preempt his attack. I'm going to be on guard because I know there is nothing new. The devil has in his bag of tricks. Amen? Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the wiles, all the methods of the devil. So God's given us something that is powerful, that will make sure we keep standing in every conflict, every kind of attack is going to be, we're going to stand. Now, Paul, as he begins to talk about the armor of the believer, he's drawing a parallel between the armor that the Roman soldier of his day would normally wear. So when he says, put on the full armor, he's referring to the full armor a Roman soldier would carry and have on. So I want to just mention the different pieces of this armor. And then as Paul goes on later from verse 14 onwards, we will get into each piece and what it means. But let's look at the uh, armor of the Roman soldier. The Roman soldier, he wore a belt. It was a lion belt. Now, the belt was neither protective, neither was it an offensive weapon. But it was a very important part of his armor. He needed a belt. Because the belt had held every other part of the armor together. It was very important. It kept the breastplate in place. It was also a place where he hung his shield on one side. He hung the sword on the other side. And he had other little things that, that he could keep there in the belt. It was important because it held everything together. And also it was important because that's what gave him the freedom, the confidence to be vigorous in his activity. Otherwise he'd be afraid that some part of his thing would fall off. Right? So he could be vigorous. He, could just, he knew everything was held together because of his belt. You with me? So it's important. The second piece of the army he talks about is the breastplate. Breastplate was very important. It covered the front and the back. Made of metal, connected all the shoulders, covered parts of the shoulders. And there were different designs for the breastplate. So there were variations to it. But it covered all the vital organs. Now, without a breast, imagine a soldier without a breastplate. He was still vulnerable. He may have had the sword and the shield and everything, but he was still vulnerable. Especially if there was a sneak attack from the back. Breastplate was very important. And then there were the shoes. Now, when we talk about Roman shoes, don't imagine these nice, slender Roman sandals. That's not what he's talking about. What the soldier wore was something very different. There were metal plates that covered the feet, from the, just below the knee to the top of the feet, that covered the entire front, over the calf muscle, the shin, covered. And the shoes he wore were also made of metal, and they also had spikes in them one to three inches long 
The shoes, of course, were protective. They had to pro protect his feet so now he could be mobile, could move along. They also gave him stability, grip. He could be firm. But the shoes also were used to inflict injury. So quite different from those nice sandals. These are long spikes. They're metal. And you, when there was a battalion of Roman soldiers, if you fell by chance in their footpath, they wouldn't stop. The whole gang will walk across over you. Not much is going to be left after that. They inflicted injury with those shoes. And then you had the helmet. Was it the helmet the next one we were talking about? No, the shield. Now, there were two kinds of shields that these Romans had. There was one that was round and circular, small one. But that was more for decorative years when they did the march past and other kind of, you know, parades, they would use that. But when they went into conflict, they would use this large one. The word shield there was literally like a door. It was a huge shield that covered the soldier almost entirely. That was the shield Paul is referring to in the Greek. It says, take that shield, the big one, long one. Now this shield had a metal frame around it, and it was made of leather. Six layers of leather tightly woven together was a shield. Now, what they used to do was, before the day of battle, when they, before they went out into battle, they would soak this overnight in water. So that when they went out to battle and the enemy shot arrows that were, had fire-lit arrowheads, they had something that was damp that quenched those fiery darts. But it also meant that the soldier had to take care of his shield every day. Because it was thick leather. And if he just let it dry out, it would become brittle and fall apart. It would be of no use to him. So every day the soldier had to rub oil into his shield. Are you with me so far? That's the shield Paul is talking about. Take this shield. And then he had, they would also as soldiers march in formation. So yes, as an individual he had his own shield. He would engage in conflict. But many times these soldiers got together into formation and they would position their shields. Some of their metal shields actually had hooks on the sides of the metal frame so they could lock their shields together. And then they would march against the enemy. So right now the shield becomes a weapon of offense. Not just a weapon of a, a piece of armor that was defensive, but it was actually now something that could help them go on the offensive. It was like a modern day armored tank. Are you with me so far? It helped them go against the enemy. Then he said, take the helmet of salvation. The helmet was pretty decorative. had the nice red horse hair so you could recognize the soldier from far. But it was very important. Otherwise, an axe blow on the head would just decapitate the soldier. Very important. Protected his head, face, uh, and neck. The back of the neck. Helmet. And he also had a sword. Now, there were many different kinds of sword, swords in those days. The kind of sword Paul was referring to in the Greek there was a long 19-inch double-edged sword, razor sharp on both sides, pointed at the tip. It was very brutal. Take that double-edged sword. And lastly, the seventh piece of weapon the soldier had was a spear. Again, there were many different kinds of spears. Short ones, long ones, lightweight ones, heavy ones, single-pronged multi-pronged, all kinds of spears. 
And he says, take that spear. Now, I know he doesn't specify that spear, but we will look at it. It's somewhere there between verses 17 and 18. It's behind the verse. All right, take the spear. So seven pieces of armor. Are you still with me? Are you already put in your resignation? No. So Paul says, believers, this is what you've been called to do. Take the full armor of God. And you are going to be able to stand against everything the devil does. You are going to stand. The devil is not going to be able to knock you down. If you've got this on. Amen? Then in verse 12, let's go to verse 12. Ephesians 6 verse 12. So he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Meaning your fight, don't throw the spear at the pastor, please. You're not fighting one another. We're not fighting each other. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spirits of wickedness that operate in the heavenly realms. Notice he uses the word wrestle. Now, in the Greek, he's thinking, again, he's borrowing a lot from the culture of that day. He's using this word wrestle that actually... Uh, the root word there actually is referring to a combat arena, an arena where the Greeks engaged, the Romans engaged in, in, in contact sport, which was boxing and wrestling. And he's using that. He's borrowing that. He says that's the kind of engagement we are in. And uh, when, the, when, they, when the Greeks, uh, when they engaged in boxing and wrestling, it wasn't like round one, round two, round three. No, it was like you do this, it's free for all. Get rid of your opponents. That was the kind of engagement. In other words, this is do or die kind of engagement. Are you listening? For we wrestle. This is the kind of engagement. We wrestle against principalities. Chief rulers. Chief. Chiefs. Principalities. The chief. Satan's kingdom is organized. And he's beginning to tell us. The hierarchy there against principalities, the chiefs, against powers. The Greek word there means delegated power. So there's a second level that receives power from the chiefs. Against rulers of darkness. Now that word ruler again is borrowing a military term which really means a ruler who has a troop under him. And this troop is organized, committed and in order. Quite unlike the church. Satan's kingdom is so organized that Paul says, these rulers of darkness, he's saying they, he's actually using a military term to talk about that third level that Satan has. They are rulers. They are leaders of organized troops. Fully committed, fully organized, and they are in order. They are dedicated. One man of God, as he was praying, he said, Lord, you know, why is the church so defeated? And God reminded him about this. He said, that's the big difference between what the devil is doing and the way my people conduct themselves. There is no commitment. There is no order. There is no discipline. In contrast to this level, rulers of darkness, organized, committed disciplines. Are you understanding? Yes. It's time for us as a church to understand the importance of being organized, being committed, being disciplined. Because that's the kind of enemy we're engaging with. We can't be any less organized, committed, and disciplined than the enemy. 
if he's going to outsmart, outdo him. So rulers of darkness. And then there are spirits of wickedness in the heavenly realms. There are spirits that do evil. So he says, look, that's the enemy. We're against a spiritual enemy. And he's writing to every believer. Which means every believer needs to understand that these are the kinds of things, demonic powers, we are in conflict with. We are coming against. Who try to oppose us and do all kinds of things. And so, he now goes into verse 14. Where he says, verses 14 through 18. He says, let's just read that passage and we'll talk about each piece. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So let's identify these seven pieces of our spiritual armor first. What's the belt? The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of the gospel of peace. The helmet of, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the spear that's released in prayer. Although he doesn't specifically mention spear or lance, in verse 18 he continues praying always with all kinds of prayer. So through inference, we connect the two. Because a soldier always carried that. So the seventh piece is the spear released through prayer. You with me so far? Now let's talk about each one. He says, it's very interesting to know that Paul starts off with a belt. You know, when you talk about somebody's attire, you don't say, whoa, nice belt. <laughs> the first thing is a nice shirt or, you know, a nice top, whatever you got. But he, interesting, he says that's belt. But the belt is so important because as we said earlier, it holds everything together and it gives us the freedom to be really vigorous, to be agile, to move fast. So the belt is important. And he says, put on the belt of truth. So for every believer, truth is so important. It's integral. It holds everything else together. It gives you the freedom to be aggressive, mobile, and agile in conflict. Truth is so important. It's your belt. Truth is a person. His name is, start again. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus also said, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, verse 17. So truth. Now every piece of armor is armor that is, is given to us from God. It's not from man. It's not from the earth. So this truth we're talking about is what God declares as truth, not what somebody else said is truth. But what did God say? So it's Him, it's His Word. And each one of us as believers need truth. It's integral to us. Our relationship with a person, with the Lord Jesus Christ, and our knowledge of the Word is so important. Every other piece of armor is connected to it. Are you with me? Truth, the knowledge of the word, thy word is truth. And that's why I want to encourage all of us as believers, you need to know the word of God. It's your belt. It's what's going to hold everything else in your life together. 
You need to know the truth. You need to think the truth. You need to speak the truth. You need to live by the truth, meaning the word of God. It's integral to us. Thy word is truth. Amen? So don't, please, believe that. Don't neglect the word of God. Thy word is truth. Unfortunately, as uh, you look at the Christian world, there is this big movement away from the word of God. Because today there is this whole thing about attractional churches. And it's nothing new actually. It was there back in the 70s when we had the seeker sensitive churches and we are repeating the same mistake all over again. Only we're calling it different this time. Preachers and others, it's really sad and I'm bringing this out because you might run into it. They want to make the church attractional. They say we need to contextualize the church. We need to make the church relevant to a post-Christian world. Meaning the world has moved on beyond Christianity. So they call it a post-Christian world. And we need to make our churches attractional. We need to create something in the church that will attract people. And so literally, they discard the word of God and they replace that in Sunday mornings by talk, giving nice talks, giving nice advice, giving motivational speeches in order to attract the crowds. And the word of God has no place. It's sad to see huge congregations all across, especially the Western world, move in this direction. It's sad. Because you're robbing the believer of the very thing that's going to cause him be victorious in life and battle. It's the truth of God. It's not your nice motivational talk. It's not your cliches. It's not your phrases. It's not your attraction that's going to empower the believer. It's the truth of the word of God. It's a sad trend in the church worldwide. It's like making a gospel presentation without the gospel. You can't do it. It's trying to build believers up without the word of God. You can't do it. The word of God has to remain central to every church service. It's the word of God that's going to build people up. You've got to read the chapter and verse. So I'm warning us believers. If you put the word of God aside, you're making yourself vulnerable because it's not you, your other pieces of armor are not going to stay on you. Are you listening? Put on the belt of truth. So don't pay attention to anything that robs you of the truth, that robs you of the word of God, which is to be central to your life and mine, the word. Secondly, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate. It's so important. That breastplate, the Bible says, is righteousness. You knowing that you have been made right in the sight of God. Righteousness that comes from God. That God has said that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, all your sins have been removed, and you are free from all guilt, shame, condemnation, that you are standing before God, righteous, justified, clean in His eyes, pure, holy, blameless, accepted in the beloved. That's righteousness. And you and I need to know that we are righteous in the eyes of God through the blood of Knowing that you are the righteousness of God, walking in that righteousness and living that because of that you live righteously, that is having your breastplate on. Imagine a soldier without the breastplate. He may have a sword and shield and helmet on, but you know he's going to be hesitant to move forward because he knows he's got a major part of his body exposed and he's very vulnerable. So he can't run to battle. He'll probably be on the back end saying, you guys go, you know, I'll just watch. 
Because I don't have my breastplate on. Are you listening? So the breastplate, you knowing that you are the righteousness of God is what's going to cover you completely. And it's going to set you free. It's going to, you can run into battle because you know you're covered. So you knowing, coming to this place of knowing that you are the righteousness of God. That there is no condemnation against you. That God is for you. God loves you. God is standing with you. God is a good God. He is for you. He's on your side. That is so important. Covers you. It gives you confidence to go into battle. But that is also the very place the enemy tries to attack. He tries to put condemnation. He says, you're no good. God doesn't love you. You know, if the devil doesn't do his work, the preacher does it sometimes. He tells his congregation, you guys are useless. You know, God is getting ready to drop a bomb on you and whatever. So even if the devil goes on a holiday, preacher is busy condemning people. Don't let anybody say that you're unworthy. Jesus died for you. Don't let anybody put any guilt or condemnation against you because the Bible says, if God does not condemn us, who can? Who can? God is not condemning. He's declared me guilty. There is no higher judge in any court who can bring an accusation against you. You are the righteousness of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So sometimes the devil puts those thoughts, makes you want to feel condemned, unfit, unworthy. Now, of course, if you do something wrong, be quick to settle that with the Lord. Saying, God, I'm sorry I did something. I ask you, Lord, just wash me clean with the blood of Jesus. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us. So you settle with God quickly and don't walk under condemnation. Sometimes we are faithful to do the devil's job. We condemn ourselves. I am no good. I am unfit. Listen, He has declared you worthy. He has made you worthy. So put your head up high. Walk into His presence. As a son, as a daughter of God. That's your breastplate. Amen. It gives you confidence. Don't come under any condemnation. Put on the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes. Remember we said the shoes, they protect. They make the soldier have stability. And they also use, are used to inflict injury. Shoes. So Paul says, our shoes are the readiness of the gospel of peace. Being ready to share, to proclaim the gospel of peace. Now, in Paul's writings, you'll find another place where he uses the same phrase, gospel of peace. He, he calls the gospel message with different terms. Sometimes he will call it the gospel of God. Sometimes he will call it the gospel of Christ. Sometimes he will call it the gospel of salvation. Sometimes he will call it my gospel according to Jesus Christ. And so on. He uses different terms to refer to the message of the gospel. Twice he says gospel of peace. In Romans 10 verse 15, you find, he finds this again. He talks about how the gospel of peace. And he's quoting actually from Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the feet are those who bring the, who proclaim peace. Right? So really what Paul is referring to in here in Ephesians 6 about wearing the gospel, shoes of the gospel, readiness of the gospel of peace, is talking about believers ready to proclaim the message of the gospel of peace. Now in order to be ready, you and I first have to be established in it. Are you listening? Yes? Did I lose you somewhere? Are you gone to the bunker taking a nap? No. <laughs> Stay. All right. The gospel of peace, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. We've got 
First of all, we ourselves need to be established in the gospel. That means we know the gospel of peace has put us in peace with God, peace within, and peace with one another. We are walking in peace. That's important. I'm personally established in the gospel of peace. You are personally established in the gospel of peace. You have peace with God. You have peace inside you, and you're walking in peace. And that's very powerful because he tells us in Philippians 4, 7, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. He also says in Romans 16, 20, that the God of peace will crush Satan underneath our. So us personally being established in the, in the peace that the gospel brings is very important. It positions us to walk with readiness. He says, you be ready with the gospel of peace. Now that it comes to the next part, which means I need to be ready to share the gospel of peace. I need to share the gospel. That's our shoes. Now imagine a Roman soldier if he does not have his shoes on. He's got the heavy breastplate, the metal helmet. He's got everything else, no shoes. You think he can move around much? God, ouch, first step, ouch. <laughs> Retired hurt, you know. <laughs> Can't do much. He doesn't have his shoes on. Or worse still, if he's been injured in his feet, what's he going to do? Now, I'm going to say something that might stir us up a bit. But many of us don't have our shoes on because we are not ready to share the gospel of peace. We're not ready. Uh, you, 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 want, you don't want to know about Jesus? Talk to my pastor, you know. <laughs> but we ourselves are not ready to share the gospel of peace. It's like a soldier without the shoes. But he says, put on the shoes, which is the readiness of the gospel of peace. Be ready to share this gospel. Be ready. That's when you, it's going to you're going to advance against the enemy. You can walk against the enemy. You'll be firm in your footing against the enemy. You will actually inflict injury, harm to the enemy. Ready for the gospel. So from this day on, I want to encourage you and me as believers, understand that the sharing of the gospel is not just something I do to fulfill the Great Commission. Look, it's part of my armor. I wear it every day. If you and I have to wear it every day, be ready to share the gospel. It's what's going to make you advance against the enemy. It's what's going to make you stable in your spiritual life. It's what's going to cause you to inflict harm to the enemy when you've got those shoes on, which is the readiness to share the gospel of peace. Amen? Be ready. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Then comes the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet was a little decorative. It had all this red horsehair on it so you could see people from afar. Oh, that's a soldier there. So you identify, you know people who are saved. They're different. They look different. They walk different. The helmet of salvation. You and I being assured of our salvation. I know that I'm saved through Jesus Christ. That's very critical. If I'm not sure of my salvation, it's like a soldier without a helmet. One axe blow, one sword, decapitated, goodbye. You need to be sure of your salvation through Jesus Christ. You know that you know that you know that you are saved. You're born again. You have eternal life. That's your helmet. You know what salvation means. That you are totally redeemed. The devil has no claim over you. No more right over you. That the Lord Jesus Christ has annulled every legal claim that the devil has over your life through the cross. And because you have believed in Jesus Christ, you have been taken out of darkness and you have been moved into his kingdom of light. You need to be convinced about that. 
That's your helmet. The death blow of the devil is a simple thought. Maybe you're not saved. Simple. Maybe you're not saved. You know? It's, oh, maybe I'm not saved. Death blow. Be sure of your salvation. It's a gift of God. Eternal life through Jesus Christ. But know that you believe in Jesus. You're saved. Don't let any doubt come in about your salvation. Got your helmet on. And then the shield of faith. It says, above all. Now that word above all is kind of misleading because really what he's talking about there from the Greek there is covering all because this is a big shield. So he says, covering all of you, all of you covering all, this shield of faith which will quench every fiery dart of the, your faith in God, your shield. Your faith in God is this shield which covers everything and which will quench, will nullify every fiery dart. Doesn't matter what he throws. Every fiery dart can be quenched, nullified, neutralized with your shield of faith. Now, let's talk a little bit about these fiery darts. There are two battlegrounds where we engage with the devil. One is our mind, the other is our flesh. So where do we fight the devil? Not somewhere out there in the heavenly space, you know, somewhere there. No, the battleground is the mind and it's the flesh. So every fiery dart of the enemy is going to impinge either on your mind or on your flesh. The mind. The enemy comes against us with all kinds of thoughts, reasonings, arguments, imaginations, and he tries to gain a stronghold. That's the first battleground. Thoughts, arguments, reasonings, imaginations, stronghold in the mind. First battleground. So those fiery darts, how do they come? Oh, you're never going to be successful in life. Oh, some sickness is going to come and you're going to die prematurely. Oh, you know, all these thoughts, negative thoughts, wrong thoughts. Are you understanding? That's how we attack. Thoughts of fear, failure, lie, untruths, imaginations. How do we quench those fiery darts? With your shield of faith. You, faith comes through the word of, once again, how integral to the Christian life is the word. Your faith must be in the Word. This is what the Word says. Devil, no, just reject that lie. Because my faith is in the Word of God. God's Word says, I will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I will bring forth my fruit in its season. My leaf will not wither. Whatever I do will prosper. God's Word says that with long life, He will satisfy me and show me His salvation. God's Word says the number of my days I will fulfill. So you reject those thoughts. God's word says, you know, when the devil throws thoughts in your, house, in your mind, oh, your house is going to be messed up. No, no. God's word says that the house of the righteous will stand. God's word says he blesses the house of the righteous. That's the word. So your faith nullifies those fiery darts. Faith in the word. The other area of attack is the flesh. What is the flesh? You're not talking about the you know, the blood and the bones. We're talking about ungodly desires. That's what the word flesh is in the New Testament. Ungodly desires. We have to admit it. Our bodies are still not fully sanctified. So they have got those ungodly desires. And so the enemy, the devil's tactic is to try to stir up those ungodly desires. 
I like it says in James 1, 13 to 14, when any man is tempted, let him not say, I'm tempted by God, because every man is tempted when he is drawn by his own desires. So what is temptation? It's the pull of your own desire. But all the devil has to do is come and feed it. Come and incite it. Keep this plate of jalebis in here and say, come eat. That's temptation. So, that's what the devil does. What's his fiery darts? They are there to incite the evil desires in our body. But we quench it. Put it off with your shield off. Say, no, devil. I stand on the word of God. This is what the Bible says. I reject those things. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. My mind is holy ground. Whatever things are true, pure, noble, just, those are the things I think about. I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. With your shield of faith, you quench every fiery dart. So what are the two battlegrounds? The mind and the? That's where those fiery darts are intended to impinge. But you guard yourself with your shield of faith. It covers all. Now remember what we said about the shield of faith. The shield of faith needs daily maintenance, not weekly. It needs daily because those shields were made of thick leather. If, you didn't, if the soldier didn't rub oil into them and he just left them aside from after one conflict where he had soaked them in water, it'll get brittle and fall apart. Next time he puts it up and a, and a fiery light comes, he's like, man, what happened to the shield? No maintenance. So you got to maintain it every day. Your faith needs daily maintenance. Hey, every day. And then he had to soak it in water if he has to be able to quench those fiery darts. Our faith needs to be soaked to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit and God's Word. Daily. Keep your faith strong. Are you listening, child of God? You need to maintain your faith. Daily, not weekly, not once a year. When do you go to church? Yes, I go to church Christmas and Easter. Oh boy. <laughs> Listen, your faith needs daily maintenance in the Word, in the presence of God. And take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the... Now let me just also mention something that we talked about earlier that this, the Roman soldiers did with the shields. From time to time, when they wanted to advance against the enemy, they came together in formation and they locked their shields together so that they could advance against the something for us to learn. That we as believers, we need to learn to lock our shields together to advance against the. Yes, it's true that the shield is personal. You need your shield to defend yourself. But we collectively, when we as a church are going to advance against the enemy, when we as a church are going to advance against what the devil is doing in our city, in our nation, we need to lock our shields together and march as an organized, committed, uh, disciplined troop. March against the enemy. We need to lock our faith together. Are you with me? Yes. We need to do that. Join our faith together. Because we are in this battle conflict together. And we got to advance against the enemy. Last two, very quick. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice he said it's the sword of the Spirit. Because 
It is the Holy Spirit who will quicken the word to you. Your responsibility and my responsibility is to know the whole word, to know the scriptures, to read it, to meditate in the Bible, you meditate in it. But in those moments of conflict, it is the Spirit of God who will quicken the word to you. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word. The word there in the Greek is rhema. Rhema is really, it means a quickened word that must be spoken without doubt. Rhema is a quickened word that must be spoken without doubt. There's another Greek word called logos, which is the written word. But rhema is a quickened word. It's a word that he quickens into your heart. And he says, speak this word. No doubt. That's rhema. So he's saying, take the rhema. The Holy Spirit will quicken that word to you. Speak that word. So in your moments of conflict, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit quickens the word. Say, yeah, stand on this word. Speak this word. You speak it. It's your weapon, that razor sharp, double-edged, 19-inch sharp and pointed sword against the devil. It's the devil here, take it. The rhema of God. A word that's quickened to you by the Holy Spirit, which you must speak without doubt. So he quickens a word, a verse, a scripture. You speak it. You declare it. It's very powerful. Now, if you're not getting any word quickened, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do I do? I'm facing this thing. I'm facing this attack. I'm facing this temptation. What do I do? What do I say? The Holy Spirit will quicken. Give you a word. Speak that out. The best example is that of Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. When he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, each time he said, it is, it is written. It is written. When he said, make the stones turn into bread, Jesus didn't say, you know, I wasn't talking about the tribulation or anything. He said, man shall not live by a quickened word for that moment. The rhema of God. And the last one. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. So although Paul does not mention the word spear, we concluded because when he started off, he said, take the full armor. And we know what the full armor of a Roman soldier was. So I think it is very safe to conclude that verse 18 is actually referring to this last piece of weaponry, which was the spear or the lance. Now, as we mentioned, the soldier had many different kinds of spear. And the spear was used to inflict harm to the enemy from a distance. You throw the spear. Many times they threw it across and over the uh, uh, strongholds, the, the walls of a fortified city. They would throw this over and about. Sometimes they would light those spears with fire and throw it over the walls. So it was, an, it was a weapon that was used to inflict harm to the enemy from a danger. And Paul says, praying always, meaning use this all the time. Praying always. With all kinds of prayer. Meaning you've got so many different kinds of spears. Use them all. All kinds of prayer. All prayer and supplication. So there are different kinds of prayer. There's the prayer of thanksgiving. Prayer of praise and worship. Prayer of intercession. Prayer of faith. There's a prayer of binding and losing. There's a prayer of asking and receiving. There's a prayer in tongues. There are all kinds of prayers that we can pray. So he says use them all. So we pray to God, and it is God who releases spears, if you will, against the enemy to push him back. So it's prayer, it's the spear released through prayer. Are you with me? So pray always, with all prayer and supplication, in the Spirit, inspired, led by the Spirit, with all perseverance, meaning this is something you do with endurance. 
Don't pray once a week. Oh, yes, I got my spears thrown. With all perseverance, meaning you keep at this, don't quit. With all perseverance and supplication. And then he says, for all saints. Meaning, you pray not only for yourself, but you also pray for all. Pray for others. Pray for others. So when I pray to God for you, it's like God is sending forth those spears, those spiritual missiles against the enemy, pushing him back on your behalf. Are you listening? That's our weapon. Pray always, with all prayer and supplication, in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance for all saints. Pray for others. You're engaging on their behalf. And God's going to send those spears out against the enemy. Amen? And then he concludes. He says, pray for me. And I'll just run through the rest of it. He says in verse 20, pray also, praying also for me that I may be able to preach the gospel. The door will be open to me. Then he says, I will send Tychicus to you. Tychicus was one of the eight people that he discipled there. And while he was in Ephesus, and Tychicus is now with him. So he says, I'll send this young man. He'll tell you everything, how things are going. And then he releases a blessing on them. He says, you know, peace, faith, and love to you. Grace uh, be to you. So this morning, we looked at our spiritual armor. Have it on. Have it on. Truth, God's word. Righteousness. Know that you're the righteousness of God. It's your breastplate. Your feet. Got your shoes on. Be ready to share the gospel. Of. Have your helmet on. You know that you're saved. The devil can't rob you. Can't deal a fatal blow to you. You know you're saved. Got your shield on. It needs daily maintenance. Take care of it every day. Your faith in God and in His Word. And the sorrow. The Word quickened to you by the Holy Spirit. Speak that Word. It's a rhema Word. A quickened Word that is spoken without a doubt. That's your sorrow. And prayer that releases spears against the enemy. Amen? So... All of you are armed and dangerous. Let's rise to our feet. We're going to pray. So did you get something out of this this morning? You're going to live by this? Put on the full armor of God. That you may be able to stand against all the wiles of thee. You're going to stand. Put on the full armor. You'll be able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Amen? So I want you to take a few moments just to declare that, yes, God, I'm going to battle. I'm going to stand. No matter what the enemy comes against me, I'm going to stand. I'm going to sing, take a few moments to sing and then we will close. I know we're past time, but let's just do this. In the armor we'll enter the land The battle belongs to the Lord No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand battle belongs to the Lord in heavenly armor. In heavenly armor we'll enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing Power of 
blessing and grace upon each one. And I declare victory, declare triumph over each one of us in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go forth. Be victorious. God's on your side. God's for you. Amen. God bless you. See you again. Have a great Sunday. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org 
Also visit our website www.abcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.